Good evening, dear friends. Welcome to Spirit Reports of Life After Life, our study that we weekly base on the beautiful book of Heaven and Hell by Alan Kardec. We have been studying the different categories of spirits who are reporting back to us of their experience on the other side, depending on the lives they have lived. And in the last few weeks, we have focused on suicides. It is not an easy chapter, um, but very educational because these spirits report back to us such important information. And we have the ability, we are gifted with learning so much from them. And tonight we will be studying yet another case uh, from the group of suicides. And before we start, let us do an opening prayer. If you can, please close your eyes and let us connect our minds, our hearts, the mirrors of our souls with God and Jesus, our guide and model, Mother Mary, and the spirits on high, the spirit doctors, the mentors of this group. Let us also connect with the mentors of Kardec Radio and our own mentors who are so faithfully by our sides, supporting us throughout our lives. By turning the mirror of our souls towards the sun the light of God. We're allowing to bring this light back into our minds, into our hearts, into our souls, illuminating ourselves and illuminating those areas where we are still ignorant, where there's still darkness. And it is with immense gratitude for our mentors and the spirits on high who have been teaching us through their books, coming through Shikushavya and other dedicated loving mentors and mediums. And tonight we ask to have an open heart to feel the lesson that will be bestowed upon us, a very important lesson that will help to nourish our souls. And it is with gratitude to Cardiac Radio to have this beautiful platform for our intercontinental classroom. And with this, we ask for permission to start our study for tonight. And so be it. So be it, dear friends. Now, in the meantime, friends had the opportunity to join. There's Teresa Castro. Thank you for coming, for joining us. And Lisa Tellies. And thank you, friend, for coming as well. And there is a whole bunch more people, but please say hello so we know that you're here and who it is so we can include you. And if I overlook anyone, I just have my phone and sometimes it's not clear. But I think this is the only people that have said hi, yes, Teresa and Lisa. So nice to have you. So dear friends, let us let us get started. So we're going to go to page um, 
399 in heaven and hell and our suicide case today is a double suicide out of love and a sense of duty so this was a double suicide out of love and a sense of duty now let us see what that means what happened here it's exciting it's a it's a it's a true love story that came to a tragic end so there's a young woman and she was a dressmaker and her name was Palmyra. She lived uh, around 1860, 1862. And she lived with her parents. And she was endowed with an enchanting appearance and a most affable character, which made her the object of many suitors. So in other words, our Palmyra was a very um, attractive young lady. Of all the suitors, she preferred Mr. B. B is in boy, Mr. B, who felt a vivid passion for her. Despite her love for him, she nevertheless thought it her duty, out of deference to her parents, to yield to their wishes by marrying Mr. D, D is in dog, whose social standing was regarded by them as more advantageous than that of his rival. So Palmyra, very attractive, still living at home, a young lady, was actually in love with Mr. B and he was very much in love with her but she ended up marrying Mr. D because he had a higher social standing and she thought it more um, appropriate for um, to fulfill her parents wish to marry him. So Mr. B and Mr. D were close friends on top of it so both men were friends and although there were no bonds of mutual interest between them they were always together. So these two men were friends and always together and in love with the same lady. The love between B and Palmyra, who had now become Mrs. D, it's funny because those are the names that were given, so we have to live with them, did not diminish in the least. And because they made great efforts to contain it, it grew even more intense. So Palmyra gets married to Mr. D but is still very much in love with Mr. B and Mr. B is very much in love with her and it actually grows in intensity while she's married to Mr. D. In seeking to extinguish this love to Mr. B, Mr. B decided to marry a young woman who possessed outstanding attributes and he did his utmost to love her. So in other words, now Mr. B, who is still in love with Pamir, decides to get married to a young lady to kind of drown out the love for Palmyra. Let's see what happens. He soon realized, however, that such heroic means were powerless to heal him. Nevertheless, for four years, neither he nor Mrs. D broke their vows. So both were married and they were in cheating on their partners and not cheating, um, not starting a relationship with each other. So that's, that's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? What they had to suffer is impossible to express because D, who truly loved his friend, was always inviting him over and insisting that he stay whenever he tried to leave. So it wasn't just the love between those two, Palmyra and Mr. B and vice versa, but now to aggravate matters, Mr. B would constantly be, be around Palmyra because Mr. B and Mr. D were friends and they were, would be hung, hanging out together. So one day, the two lovers were brought together by an unsought, fortuitous circumstance, and they shared the state of their souls. So they talked. 
they led themselves to believe that death was the only remedy for the agony they were going through. They decided to die together and to put their plan into action the next day. Wow. So they were so desperate that they decided, they thought that death was the only way to get them out of their misery. So that's what they did the next day. After having made the final preparations, they wrote a long and touching letter explaining that the death they inflicted upon themselves was the only way they could remain faithful to their obligations. And what was their obligations? Their obligations was not to cheat on their partners, to stay out of a love triangle. Hi, Tony. Thanks for, for joining. Nice to have you. Hope you're well. And then they ended the letter asking for forgiveness and to be buried in the same grave. So when Mr. D returned home, he found them asphyxiated, which means they didn't have sufficient oxygen. So they died of lack of oxygen. He respected their last wishes and consented to their bodies not being separated at the cemetery. Pretty noble man. So now these two committed suicide. Now let's see what happens. Did their wish get fulfilled that they were, would be together eternally? We have our guesses, right friends? So let us see. Um, these two suicide lovers cannot yet respond to you. So they're being at the Parisian society. They are trying to evoke those two spirits to get a report back. So we can learn from them. But they're being told that these two suicide lovers cannot yet respond. I see them. They are immersed in confusion and terrified at the perspective of eternity. So this is one another spirit reporting. The moral consequences for the wrong they committed will weigh heavily on them through successive migrations during which their separated soul will search for each other constantly. Subject to the double torture of having an intuition of and desire for each other. Now, this is the moment where we are invited to really feel the pain. If we have ever been in love and it wasn't fulfilled and this love was true love and didn't just go away because we got upset about something, that in itself is a torturous state. Maybe we have experienced it. But now they decided to take their lives. They find themselves on the other side and they cannot connect with each other. They know of each other, they have a sense and they cannot connect. On top of it, something that they may not be aware of yet is that through successive migrations, meaning in many different lifetimes, successive lifetimes, they will be still separated. So even a new life will not allow them to get together. That's tragic. That's very painful. I'm currently reading The Memoirs of a Suicide by Yvonne Pereira. And um, it reports, these reports about the suicide cases there are very descriptive. It's a very big book. And I really am plunging into experiencing the pain that suicides go through. It is it's immense so we're invited to really feel that so that we can nourish our souls and learn because we're here to learn right friends so um once the expiation is finally complete they both will be reunited forever in the bosom of eternal love 
Within eight days at your next meeting, you can evoke them. They will come, but will not be able to see each other. Profound darkness will separate them for a long time to come. Let us pause. So there will be successive incarnations. They won't be able to see each other or come together. They will have a notion of each other. So there will be uh, some sort, some form of suffering. Of course, they will also be suffering because they committed suicide. And then um, we're also learning that within eight days after this invocation, they will be able to come and report back to us. But in the meantime, they will experience profound darkness that will separate them for a long time to come. So let us go and look at darkness. Darkness is our first pause. And it was a few weeks ago that we talked about darkness when we discussed Claire. There was a spirit. She was one of the suffering spirits. She was not a suicide. And Claire, you may remember, was a selfish, prideful spirit. And she was married to a man by the name of Felix. And he was equally materialistic and selfish and prideful and, and prone to fighting. And she ended up finding herself in profound darkness on the other side. And the darkness was compounded by the fact that when we're in the spirit life, there is no such thing as dark, as day and night. So there is no breaks. I mean, this is something that we need to realize what a gift it is to have night and daytime. We don't ever think about it. We take it for granted. But let us imagine there would never be a break. The, the, our lives would just meander on without being able to have a night where we actually kind of check out and take a break from our lives, so to speak, right? So when we are tortured on the other side, maybe as a result of suicide, there is no such thing as day or night. It just goes on and on and we don't know when it stops. So in this case, uh, Claire was in darkness and our friend here, our friends here, are also in profound darkness. And what we learned from St. Louis in this chapter um, of Claire was that the darkness represents the true night of the soul. It is comparable to the intellectual darkness of the mentally impaired. Again, something that's hard for us to, to imagine because in this lifetime we're endowed with beautiful intelligence. So we can only hunch how that would feel if our minds weren't working. I'm working with demented people during the day, my, my paying job. And so I experience the profound pain that these incarnate older people suffer from because their minds are not working anymore. After a whole lifetime of being intelligent and powerful and successful, boom, the mind is not working anymore. It is extremely painful. So, um, so in other words, the darkness is also so that St. Louis is teaching us an unawareness of oneself and one's surroundings. So this is, we're saying this because we're reflecting back to Palmyra and Mr. B who committed suicide. This is part of what they're experiencing. So we can feel it more. So it becomes more real for us of what is really going on. So this darkness, according to St. Louis, is one of the most terrible consequences of a wrong one can do. And then Claire in that same chapter flashed it further out by saying that the darkness for spirits means ignorance, emptiness, horror of the unknown, 
that is another thing that we may or may not have experienced in our lifetimes when we just don't know what's going to happen and we're scared of something bad to happen. It is a very, very unsettling, painful situation to be in. And of course, in an incarnate state, what a lot of humans do then is medicate, right? It's either medications that are being taken or a drinking or smoking or other drugs that are then are being used to muffle the pain. And so spirits, another reason for darkness is also spirits who do not produce their own lights because of course we are, we have the spark of God, that's the spark of light in us. And the more illuminated we are and the more connected we are with to God and Jesus and the good spirits, the brighter our light shines. Let your light shine. But if we are um, in pain and darkness and, and, and in ignorance, surrounded in ignorance, then that is a reflection of our inner darkness that we experience on the outside. So darkness is a very painful um, expiation. It's a very painful um, effect or um, what's the word uh, that I'm looking for? It's a consequence of a wrong we do to be wallowing in darkness knowing there is other spirits around but not being able to see them and of course to be separated in this case for Pamir and Mr. B from each other. So now let us see what happens with the evocation. So Pamir comes through as the first one and she's, in, she's being asked the following. Can you see your lover with whom you committed suicide? And the answer from by Pamir is, I cannot see anything. Not even the spirits who roam about in this place where I am. Such night! Exclamation mark. Such darkness! Exclamation mark. What a thick veil there is before my eyes. We can maybe imagine it if we close our eyes. If we spend walking around our house five minutes with our eyes closed and then multiply that by years and years and not knowing how long this state would take. That is the worst part from my perspective. The other day I had a flat tire and I was sitting by the roadside and waiting for road assistance. And in hindsight, it took two hours for, for the um, road assistance to come. But these two, two hours seemed excruciatingly long why? Because I had no idea when this tow truck would come, the guy who would fix the exchange the tire. And it is this uncertainty, this not knowing when actually the relief comes that makes it even worse. Because then when I look back, had somebody told me, yeah, it's going to take two hours for it to come, then I would have settled down, would have read something, would have relaxed, you know, maybe got something to eat or drink and just, you know, enjoy the time off, so to speak. But the uncertainty and this is that was my pain in that situation. And I think in other situations too. And this is what these spirits, the open-endedness of darkness and not knowing whether this is ever gonna end. Maybe we're feeling it, right friends? It's important that we feel it because we wanna learn, we wanna learn from these spirits of what not to do, to avoid, to avoid to, to ever make a mistake that Palmyra and Mr. B made and not stay in the incarnation. So the next question for Pamir now is, are you experiencing any physical pain? 
And the answer is by Pamir, all my suffering is in my head and in my heart. So she has doesn't really experience any physical suffering, it so sounds, but she has pain in her head, which is most likely her thinking, her thoughts, and in her heart. So then um, she's being asked, do you believe the situation will last forever? And the answer by her is, on her behalf is, oh, forever, exclamation mark, forever. So she lost hope. Right, friends? That's this uncertainty, and that is excruciating. I sometimes hear infernal howling, horrific voices crying out. It will be like this forever. <coughs> Excuse me. So she thinks she's hopeless. She thinks this will be forever. Well, this is now the invoker speaking. Well, we can tell you with all certainty that it will not be like this forever. So there is a little bit of help coming her way. There is the good news coming through, peering through the darkness. But let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So further, she's being told through repentance, you can obtain forgiveness. What did you say? She answers, I couldn't hear you. Wow. So she couldn't hear. Let's see. Now, the invoker says, I will repeat that you can shorten the duration of your suffering by repenting, and we will help you to do so through prayer. So there is the ray of hope, but bottom line is, she cannot hear it. She cannot hear the good news. You, you, you say you're in darkness, can you see us? I'm behind allowed to hear a few of your words, but I can only see a black crepe upon which a weeping face looms from time to time. So the bottom line is she can't see and she can't even hear the voices. She can't even hear the help that's coming her way. It's the repentance that was the rope that was given to her to help her. Now, even though Palmia couldn't hear this, let us look of why repentance would have helped her. Let us pause and let us look at repentance. We've looked at repentance before, but we can never look enough because it's always in a different circumstance and we sometimes forget. So, but you may remember that there were there are three steps to our regeneration. And that is something we can find in heaven and hell in the first part of heaven and hell. There's a chapter that's dedicated to that. And these three steps are, let us look. First, and these, these steps of regeneration are for the purpose of us erasing the remnants of our wrongdoings. So these three steps are really important and we need to go through them. So if we've done wrong, like Palmia taking her life, those three steps to her regeneration are also very important. And that was what the evoker was trying to help her with. And the first step is repentance, which is the first one. That's the one that was mentioned to Palmia. So what is repentance? Well, repentance softens softens the rigors of the expiation 
because it awakens in us hope and prepares the way for rehabilitation, which is the step, another step towards our regeneration. So repentance is the first step to feel the pain, to acknowledge that we've done wrong. It helps us with our expiation, which is another step, but we're not there yet. We're still at repentance. So we need to feel it in the heart though. It can't be just lip service. And we read that in different books, that repentance has to come from the heart, has to be really felt. We may remember when Andre Luis, who was in the umbral, finally prayed from the depth of his heart. That was his initiation to get out of the umbral. It was his first step towards repentance. So repentance can occur anytime. It can incur in our current lifetimes. We can repent about things we've done in this lifetime that we don't consider correct. Or it can happen during our life after life. Or it can also happen in, our, in a new incarnation. So what is the second step? So the first step is repentance. The second step is expiation. So what is expiation? Expiation is the physical and mental suffering either in our current, in a later lifetime or in a future or in life after life, in the life between lives. So that is the physical and mental suffering that we that we will um, experience during expiation. And expiation is, for example, when we are in a new lifetime, in, let's say well, in this lifetime we get a divorce and it's not amicable at all. Um, we had signed up to live with this person and, and you know have that as a spouse, but we decide to cop out and not fulfill our incarna incarnatory plan. So an expiation might now look like we meet this guy or girl again in a new lifetime and we continue the lesson. And we thought we'd save ourselves some pain by getting a divorce, but that is not so because we can't run away from the lessons we need to learn. So the expiation might be another marriage to this person or maybe this person comes back in another relationship to us. So then what is the third step? So we said there's three steps for our regeneration to undo our wrongs. The third step, so first one was repentance, second one expiation, and the third one is reparation. Now what is reparation? Reparation is righting a wrong. Reparation is doing what we have failed to do previously. It could have been in this incarnation or in a previous incarnation. So we're doing what we have failed to do, fulfilling a neglected duty or neglected duties. So when we hear the word duty, we are reminded of thought and life. Beautiful book. We have it here, Thought and Life by Emmanuel. Oops, it's a little reflection there, but you may, you probably know it. And in chapter 21, Emmanuel dedicates a whole chapter to duty. And he gives us a new idea. He gives us a new definition of duty. What is the definition of duty? He says, duty is a series of activities in the arena 
of goodness. So it's good deeds. It's not just being a machine, getting up in the morning, going to work and work out eight, nine hours a day and coming home and cooking for the kids and, and jumping in front of the TV and boom, that was our day. No, it's actually doing the good while we do these actions, while we fulfill our duties. It's a string, a series of activities in the arena of goodness. Emmanuel is so masterful. He always creates from a flat ceiling, which you see back here in my room, he creates at the cathedral style ceiling. It, he opens us up to new dimensions of words that we use that are common household words like duty. We have a picture of duty, but now we know it's actually doing the good. So in other words, reparation, we came from reparation and we, we learned that reparation is fulfilling neglected duties. So a series of doing the good. We neglected it and now we have to repair. We have to do reparation. So how can we do reparation, for example? Well, one is, again, we're going back to Thought and Life, Chapter 10, Understanding. That's the name of the chapter. And there, Emmanuel teaches us how we can do reparation. Now, here it is. To undo the handcuffs, this is a quote, of evil we have forged against our own souls, he tells us. We must seek goodness, we must feel goodness, we must visualize goodness, and we must mold goodness with all the resources we can muster. And that is putting the bar really high. That is a full-time job. And only that way do we repair past wrongs. That is fulfilling our duties. Do you see how it is also beautifully linked? It's fascinating, isn't it, friends? So let us go back to our case. So Palmyra is in darkness and she can't even hear the straw that is given to her to help her out of her dark pit. She cannot hear that she needs to repent to shorten her expiation. She's like, what, what? I can't hear. So let us see what happens next. So instead, she sees a black crepe. A black crepe is a silk fabric of a gauzy texture that the footnote tells us, having a peculiar crisp or crinkly appearance. So we can have a nice picture of that. So it's like a dark, gauzy, crinkly type fabric. And behind that is a face. That's all she can see. So now, here is an explanation by the author. It says, in regarding this account, one might first be disposed to find attenuating circumstances in this suicide, even viewing it as a heroic act brought about by the sentiment of duty. Remember, these friends were heavily in love or loving each other, and it wasn't going to go away, but they yet didn't cheat on their partners. Now, that is... That is that that takes strength, right? So we think that they're going to get some brownie points for that, right? So let's see. One must realize, however, that it was judged differently and that the punishment of these guilty souls will be long and dreadful for having intentionally taken refuge in death in order to flee their trial. So let us pause. First of all, punishment, we say it each and every week. 
punishment is not the word that we like to hear anymore. We have moved on to a different consciousness. We know there is no punishing God. There is no punishing Jesus. There is no punishing Mother Mary. There is no such thing as punishment. But there is the law of cause and effect. So it's the effect of their action of taking their lives. And that will cause them a long trial, a lot of pain. It is the consequence of their action law of cause and effect that's what it really means and so they say let's see um what was it so the cause of the effect of these guilty souls will be long and dreadful for having intentionally taking refuge in death in order to flee their trial so their trial was what their trial was to love each other to have this immense love for each other but not being allowed to be together they didn't allow themselves to suffer through it and find new ways, find transmute this love into a different dimension. They were not able to do that. They took their lives and that was their trial. So they didn't continue. They didn't live their trial. And that was the problem. The intent not to break their marriage vows was honorable and will be taken into account later on. True merit, however, would have consisted in resisting temptation, whereas they acted like the deserter who dodges his duty in the moment of danger. And the danger was the suffering of being in love and not being able to get to each other. So what can we learn from this if we reflect it back to ourselves? In our own lives, can we think of a case of a situation where we suffer deeply or have suffered deeply? And what have we done with it? Have we stayed with it? It really teaches us and shows us that whenever we experience a challenging situation or pain, maybe even excruciating pain through any circumstance, it is a trial. This too shall pass, Mother Mary always taught everyone. This too shall pass. It's a trial. It is a short time if we look at the overall picture of our eternal spirit, of the millennia of lifetimes. It is a short trial. And what do we need to do with it? We're learning, we're being taught to stick with it. As a matter of fact, to be grateful that we have this opportunity for this trial that will not only help us to become more, to, to, to grow in our soul, to transform ourselves, but it also helps us to undo some things that we haven't done well in the past, to undo some wrongs. So it is always, we're always invited. This is one of the lessons we're learning from the suicide cases in particular, to stick with our trials. There is a reason for it. God would not give us a trial if it wasn't for our own best. So let us keep that in our hearts and minds. So, um, so their punishment, but we know their consequence, their effect will consist in their searching for each other for a long time without reuniting. That's hard. So by running away from this trial in this lifetime, they made it much worse. And that is the key message that we get from suicides is whatever trial suicide did not want to stick with 
for lack of courage, for lack of hope, for lack of maybe other virtues, it got a lot worse in the end. The trial got exponentially longer and larger and more painful. So there is no winning by taking our lives. So let's see. Um, all right. Okay, so this is this is Alan Kardec's explanation. So as one can see, their punishment will consist in their searching for each other for a long time without reuniting, whether in the spirit world or during other earthly incarnations. So they won't be able to reunite in the spirit world and then they will reincarnate and they won't be reuniting for a long time. So it sounds to me like several incarnations. Additionally, their punishment, again, you know, the word, the consequence, the effect of their action, is temporarily aggravated by the idea that their present stay, state will last forever. And that is painful when we don't know whether there's any end to it. This perspective, and remember, Pramia couldn't hear the, the light that was brought to her, that she should repent to help herself. She couldn't hear it. This perspective is part of their consequence and thus they were not even allowed to hear the words of hope. Remember, she couldn't hear it. The words of hope she couldn't hear that were addressed to them. Let us pause. Let us look at hope. We just went through 24 beautiful days of, maybe it was 25, including the, um, um, the preface of the book with Dr. Vanessa Anceloni, and it was such a wonderful study group leading up to Christmas, the countdown to Christmas. And the book was Hope and Light. And this book, which has not been published in English yet, but has been translated by um, an initiative around Vanessa. Um, and this in the preface, by, and we're, we're extremely grateful for this, for this um, divine work of translating these books even though they're not published that we have we English speakers who don't speak Portuguese to have this gift of knowing more than I mean it's beautiful what we have in the English language but there's so much more and we're eager to learn more and to read more and it is it is such a gift I just I have no words to actually explain how I feel about it it's pure love that's coming from me I'm touched I'm I'm welling up. It's just thank you, Vanessa, and your team of doing this work. It is it is immeasurable. So I feel very strongly about this. So this book, Hope and Light. Now remember, Palmia couldn't couldn't hear the message of hope. So how did Emmanuel in the preface define hope? And we're just repeating what we just learned in the study group. So hope is the stimulus with which divine providence marks the growth and the elevation of life. So hope is a divine stimulus, which divine providence, good God, marks the growth and the elevation of life. So in other words, it is the certainty that we all will progress. progress. We all will progress. There is a whole section, a whole chapter dedicated to the law of progress in the third part of the Spirit's book, where we, we can study 
what law of progress is all about. There is no such thing that we will ever regress. There's the law of progress. And hope shows us the certainty that we will all progress. And if we lose hope, we can see how big that is in a negative sense. We need hope to move forward. So hope is also a force, the force for understanding. And understanding, which we learn in thought and life, is the foundation for the task of our renewal. So I'm saying this again because it's kind of like a cycle. Again, we see the connection. Um, so we learned that hope gives us the certainty that we all will progress, progress. And hope is also the force of understanding, right? Because when we understand someone, then we're moving towards hope again. We have hope when we understand someone. If we don't understand someone, we're shut down, right? It's like out of my life. I don't get it. So hope is the force of understanding. And then what is understanding, which we learn in the book Thought and Life, there's a whole chapter dedicated to understanding, that understanding is the foundation for the task of our renewal. And of course, then renewal is our progress, right? So you see how the cycle, how the circle works? It's, it's really magical, right? So it's all linked. Hope, meaning progress, progress, uh, hope for understanding, Understanding is the foundation for our renewal, which is our progress. So in, in the Good News, Chapter 8, we also learned Good News is a book by Umberto de Campos. There was a study group several years ago, and you can get it on Cardiac Radio, which is now also on Spotify, and you, you can hear it on the podcast. You can get it through the app. You can get it on Facebook. YouTube, so there's no more excuse for for the for the good news, which is also a book that hasn't been published into English yet, and yet brings us Jesus right here into our hearts, into our own homes. And in chapter eight, Jesus said to Bartolomeos, Bartolomeo, that the trademarks of those who follow Jesus are what are the trademarks of the followers of Jesus? You may remember we heard it in the study group just recently. Hope, number one, courage and joy. So we need hope to progress. We need courage to progress and we need joy to progress. And when we have hope, joy and courage, we are following Jesus. And of course, in... Um, the book, um, Paul and Stephen, Abigail, at some point, also tells Saul, who breaks down over his past, that he needs to have hope. She says hope and love, forgiveness and courage. So there is hope built into that as well. Hope is an integral part for us to progress without that. And even hope is important for us to heal. I've been in situations like that, seriously sick, and it was the hope I've experienced it in my own life that carried me through and got me to where I am today, which is healthy. So thank God. So um, 
and Palmyra couldn't hear it. Palmyra is in darkness. So the message of hope, she went like, what, what? I can't hear. It's tragic, isn't it? To those who find such a punishment too long and terrible, especially since it will only end after several incarnations, we will say that its duration is not irrevocably set. And that is the good news. So even the consequence of pain that may take a long time and is very painful is not forever. It will depend on the way in which the individual bears their future trials, for which prayer can greatly help them. Pause. Prayer. We've visited prayer so many times, but we can't get enough of prayer. Prayer is just an integral part of our lives and is one of the most helpful instruments for us to stay connected and help us through the vicissitudes of life through the challenges we may experience. And when we go to the, to the Spirits book, and you know by now, question 649, the law of, here we have it, the law of um, worship. It's on page 383, question 649. What did Alan Kardec ask? He asked, what does worship entail? And we know that prayer is a form of worship. Worship is the lifting up of our thoughts towards God. So it's a connection of our thoughts with God. Through worship, the soul draws nearer to its creator. Connection. It's like the road we build. Hopefully we have a highway to our creator because we pray so much. And then we go to the gospel according to spiritism. And you can guess the chapter. It's chapter 27. Ask and you shall receive beautiful chapter that explains to us of how to pray, what to pray for, how to pray correctly. So it's beautifully educational. And there we learn that prayer is an invocation. By means of prayer, we communicate thought, you see, thought again, with the being to whom the prayer is addressed. So we can pray to God, we can pray to Jesus, to Mother Mary, we can also pray to our mentors or to, to spirits on high and healing doctors, so we can pray to spirits as well. So there is different um, prayers, connections we can form. And um, so, but prayer is an invocation, and again, it's a connection of our hearts and uh, of our minds, our soul, our hearts. Andre Luis in Liberation says when instructor Gubbio takes them to a difficult place with hurting spirits, he says to Andre and the whole entourage, he says prayer is the only means for mobilizing the higher mental reserves for psychic replenishment. So prayer is the only means for mobilizing the higher mental reserves our mind connecting with God's mind with the, with the higher mind so it's the only means for mobilizing higher mental reserves for our psychic replenishment so when when the minds connect when the heart when we connect our heart with the higher realms that's when we feel psychically replenished but most and foremost and most clearly and beautiful 
is the chapter on prayer in thought and life. And we're going to go here for a moment. So please indulge me because this is just, it will round out what we just heard about prayer. So it's chapter 26 in thought and life. Whole chapter Emmanuel dedicates to prayer. And we're just picking out a few nuggets. We're not going to read the whole chapter. No worries. So here he says, prayer is a divine journey of the mirror of our souls. Just picture a mirror here aiming towards the higher realm in order to reflect its greatness so let's in picture we have a mirror here mind heart mirror and we can direct this mirror into the mud puddle we can direct this mirror into pain depression anger we can also direct this mirror towards god and the higher realms and we do that through prayer the connection with our minds with our thoughts our hearts but it can of course only happen when we willingly connect and that is the prayer now let us let us see further prayer is like a live appeal he teaches us to the powers of the heavenly spirit it's a live appeal he also says it's a mirror turned towards the sun to reflect its brightness into a dark pit so here's the mirror connecting with the light of God and therewith we bring it into our own selves, putting light into our own being, into our souls, eradicating, illuminating our ignorance, our dark spots. It's like hiring help. So prayer is a mirror turned towards the sun to reflect its brightness into a dark pit. And by doing that, it reaches divine love and concentrates its light upon the ignorance and suffering, misery and hatred present in the world, but also present in us. Because we are the microcosm and this is the macrocosm out here. So it, it reaches the divine love. So this light comes back into us and puts light on the ignorance and the suffering, the misery and the hatred that we harbor and that we find in our external world. To pray, he says, is to align oneself with the greatest source of power in the universe. It's an alignment with God and the good spirits. And what is the mechanism of prayer? He teaches us that too. It's so amazing. He says, prayer gives a spark to the hidden energies of the heart. So now our heart opens and releases them by the living image forming power of thought. So now our thoughts become more gentle, more loving, more kind, more indulgent, more benevolent, more forgiving. Because we're connected. We're drawing in the light and love from the divinity. And he says, in turn, these images ascend to the higher spheres, touching the minds of both visible and invisible entities around us. As a result of this contact, we will receive answers from the divine plane. For the all-merciful Father manifests himself through his children who expresses his divine goodness. So one famous person once said, Prayer is talking to God and meditation is receiving the answers. And that is kind of like the mechanism that Emiano um, elaborates here. 
It is the mirror turned towards the God light. It's opening our hearts and bringing it back in. And this is how we receive messages, how we get good ideas. It's the divine spark that opens our hearts. It is lovely. And then there is lastly, I just want to say one more thing for those of you who may not enjoy sitting in a chair or or in a temple or wherever and praying like this, Emmanuel teaches us there's so many different forms of prayer. We don't only have to do it this way. He says, for example, he gives us examples. When the professor plans his lesson and the physician concentrates on a remedy for a certain ailment, when an administrator devises a program to carry out a task, when the engineer works attentively on the blueprints for a certain project, all of this is prayer. So when we dedicate ourselves to a task and we really align ourselves, we put all of our willpower and, and heart and mind into it, it's a form of prayer. Walking through nature and opening ourselves up to God to coming through nature is a form of prayer. So there is... This chapter is very rich. This is not the whole chapter. We're just, we're not really doing it justice. We're just kind of giving you some teasers in order to flesh out. Um, and now going back to why he said this, he said um, that, okay, so we came from the perspective that, that their consequence, their so-called punishment, I mean, so their suffering will be long and terrible, but it won't be forever. Uh, the duration of their suffering totally depends on the way in which they bear their future trials. So it's what are they going to do with it? That's how we have free will. You know, they had free will and took their lives. But, you know, now it depends on how they bear their future trials, for which the one most helping piece is what? Prayer. And that's why we looked at prayer, for which prayer can greatly help them this alignment, the inspiration getting from on high. They will be like all other guilty spirits, the arbiters of their own destiny. Even so, isn't such a fate still preferable to the eternal hopeless damnation to which they would be irreversibly condemned according to the doctrine of the church, which regards them as having been handed over to hell forever? And that is an interesting note to end this chapter. And this is the last sentence in the chapter. And that just points out that even though what they're going through is is and will be, they will be painful, nevertheless, it's not forever. The law of progress will allow them to progress. <laughs> and we know that they can do it. They can help themselves through the repentance through prayer, um, nourishing their hope and courage and joy. And so there's, there's a lot of different things they can do. And again, in the, in the book, The Memoirs of a Suicide, we learn a lot more about what can be done on the other side. Um, but to wrap up the story, uh, we learned a lot friends right we learned about the importance of prayer and and we looked at the three steps of regeneration uh, of our regeneration and what how, much, how important hope is and um 
Now to wrap it up, let us let us pray. Let us pray in gratitude for this amazing case, for all of these amazing cases that are so rich and deep. And thank you, God. Thank you, Alan Kardec and the mediums of his times who so diligently and dedicatedly bringing these um, instructive cases to us so that we, to this day, more than 150 years later, are learning of what to avoid and what to nourish in ourselves. To nourish always prayer, to see the magnitude and importance of prayer, not only the prayer that is sitting down, but prayer in our activities, in our daily routines, to remind ourselves to fulfill our duties, which is a string of good deeds, to remember that to undo the handcuffs of pain that we have forged against our own selves is to always focus on the good, to visualize it, to feel it, to mold it with all the resources that we can muster. And to remember that we can turn the mirror of our mind, the mirror of our soul towards God to bring in the light, to bring in the information, the hope, the support from on high for our lives, for our challenges, and to always stay with our trials in gratitude as we know that God gives us the opportunity to undo past wrongs. And it is with gratitude for this beautiful season, for this season where we are reminded of the birth of our guide and model, who so generously came down to us on planet Earth to help us, to teach us, to heal us, to bring us immortal lessons that 2020 years later, we are still only beginning to learn. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having come to this planet in flesh and blood and staying with us in spirit, helping us through so many different ways. And thank you to Spiritism and Alan Kardec and Chico Xavier. Thank you for, Car for Kardec Radio, for the founders, for the spirit guides of Kardec Radio. Thank you. And it is with so much gratitude that we are looking forward to a new year to the ending of this year, 2019, to the ending of a whole decade and the beginning of a new year and the beginning of a new decade. It is with hope and courage and joy that we're opening our hearts to the new. And with this and so much gratitude in our hearts, we're closing tonight's study session. And so be it, dear friends. Thank you for joining. I see Hippolyto. Thank you so much for joining, dear friend. And Lisa Tellies. And there's so many more people. I see a good number here. Next time, perhaps you will say. Many blessings. Have a good beginning of, of 2020. And so God willing, we will see each other again next Sunday. Same time, same place. With a new case. More to learn. God bless you, dear friends. Good night.